Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of The Left Page. Welcome to our third year anniversary episode. It's not the actual celebration that's going to come on the on the day. And this is recorded fairly ahead of time. And But I do know what I'm going to do for the special. And I, as always, I am Frank, your always online historian, writer, researcher, podcaster extraordinaire. And I am here to talk about a book and a genre of sorts. I'll, I'll get into this discussion. It's going to be really fun. And it's why I saved it for February. So this is going to be a different kind of episode. I mean, lots of episodes have been different. This is going to be slightly more structured, but I'm going to be talking on a wider sense than I will or would have spoken about before. And we're getting back to some of our historical political criticism with with a vengeance well maybe not as strongly but still it's going to be a good one now I've, we've spoken about this before this isn't the first time the subject comes up it has mainly it, mainly I spoke about it last year when talking with Valeria on Cometierra which was a really difficult and intense episode but a really really good one on an excellent book and Amongst many things, we talked about genre and, well, what we talk about, what what we understand as, or what has been understood in a wider sense, as magical realism. And I'm going to work about it again, or more in-depth and more focused, with a different kind of example. And something which, again, it's, uh, it doesn't fit neatly. So, well, before I get into that, wider aspect. I'm going to introduce what and who I'm talking about. I, I'm going to be talking about a book of short stories by Argentinian author from... She was a colleague. She was the... what? She wasn't just these things. She was much more than those, and we'll get into that. But in case you haven't heard of her, she was a great friend to Jorge Luis Borges and was the wife of Adolfo Biore Casares. Uh, her name is Silvina Ocampo. And Sylvina was an incredible writer. And in this collection of short stories, The Fury and other stories, or just The Fury, A Furia, as I have in Portuguese right in my hand, is... It's... Uh, well, let me, let me get a, a reference from the book, uh, as it's spoken right on the back, probably by one of the editors. The short stories of Sylvina Ocampo uh, monstrous, disturbing, sinister, unreal, unnerving, are the most well-guarded treasure of Latin American literature of the 20th century. And uh, a comment on one of the editor's researchers. Sister of Victoria Ocampo, wife of Adolfo Bioy Casares, close friend to Jorge Luis Borges, one of the we wealthiest and most extravagant women of Argentina, one of the most talented and singular writers of Spanish literature, all these titles do not explain Sylvina, do not define her, do not serve to understand its, her mystery. So, <laughs> getting uh, an insight into what we're talking about. We're talking about, a, uh, and that's a rare thing to find, an absolutely singular writer. Sylvina Ocampo wrote something which was entirely her own. It is not comparable to Borges, it is not comparable to Bioy Casares, it is not comparable to pretty much anything that was written back then. And afterwards, I'm sure there's similar now, but 
what she did was her own and she came into her own and this collection of short stories is astonishing now what i want to talk about and, and i'm going to talk a bit about her short stories and what she goes as well but one of the reasons i want to talk about this is the insufficiency and some of the limitations and the imperialism of the category of magical realism because of course i i do believe as something that a, a writer pauses to themselves it's like okay i want to write magical realism of course like as the writer, you're the one that can define or get closer to what you're trying to do. However, usually magical realism is a category inserted in from an outside perspective or an external angle. Like, oh, that is magical realism. And in terms of, well, imperialism, that becomes a bit more distinct. I've spoken about this on Cometierra. When googling the book and googling for an English edition since I read it in Spanish, I... <laughs> Its genre was defined as magical realism, and that feels so little. I mean, I'd, I'd close. Uh, it's fantastic, but I'd rather push it towards some sort of literary fiction, if only on on account of the terms and the fantastical elements of it. Like that's that does not explain it. That's very little to to define it. So I, I find that. A lot of the times, and I will carry on into this and how I, and comparing with what Sylvina does in the the short stories or in her fiction more, more widely, is it's something that this category of magical realism and some of its more conventional uh, markings fails to explain or does not uh, encompass in, in its entirety. So what does magical realism mean? It, it, it's quite literally this connection of a sort of realist type of literature but with like these uh not necessarily weird but magical a bit stranger newer elements and at times it, it operates in certain grim and darker scenarios a, a, a lot of the sort of relevant symbols or relevant fiction or, or that represents magical realism so to speak is on the one hand certain avenues of african literatures in the sense of like independence literatures and works of literature and fiction that were written afterwards. I'm thinking, for example, of a writer in Portuguese, Miyakoto, but others in terms of the what they end up creating and operating. Pepe Tella, I think, is another example. Luandino Vieira, if I'm not mistaken, as well. There's a wide variety of different authors and writers from like these former colonies, especially, that are have become or written works that feel to or have been categorized at least or I came into contact with them under this label of magical realism and, and again they deal with terms of war or violence of like desolation solitude um, there are a few Latin American examples as well and that's why it, it was categorized in that sense uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez for example has been defined as such one that is particularly distinctive and it has some interesting work, but uh, my supervisor has some issues with her and I, I, I get him. <laughs> uh, Isabel Allende, who brings issues of like the dictatorship and violence and like really dark and serious stuff. Like, so it's, it's definitely something that can uh, approach these difficult subjects and topics, but as a category, it's... I feel like it has certain issues. I feel like it has certain issues because 
on the one hand, it homogenizes a very distinct type of literature. I mean, I just gave some examples of different African independence literatures, and again, I can't, I am generalizing because there's a lot of them, and be it from countries that I'm most familiar with, countries who speak Portuguese or who spoke Portuguese or who were Portuguese colonies because of this linguistic familiarity, but it, it doesn't exhaust only on that aspect. It can also uh, include some Portuguese, some Brazilian works as well, and wide variety of works throughout Latin America. So yes, there are similarities. Yes, that that can be interesting to evaluate, but you're lumping a lot of stuff together, and especially when you're bringing about okay, Cometierra, if I'm not misremembering, is from 2014 or 2016. So you're basically bringing in works from a wide period from the latter half of the 20th century, a bit before, and in the well into the 21st century. It feels like you'd require some sort of adjustment there uh, in order to lump it all in. And the issue is that it's not uh, done in a necessarily critical manner. It's like, oh, this is magical realism. It's the thing that they do in Latin America that these types of writers do, or certain African writers. So, my... That, that that brings issues, like because like th- what is being done is something quite wide and quite distinct, and and trying to do different things. What some are trying to establish a sort of national literature, trying to uh, reacknowledge some of the violences or the the horrors of the of the colonial regime, of imperialism, and trying to figure out the independence and the restructuring of a national identity and a national literature. On the other hand, you have others trying to acknowledge and understand these violence of the dictatorship, of torture, and these the these regimes, these military regimes of violence, as occurred in cases of like Argentina, Chile, and so on. So, so you have a lot of different stuff, and then you have like another example, like a twenty-first century novel talking about feminicide and violence against women. And uh, uh, that type of that type of common occurrence. So we and to to top it all off, it's a category mostly put in. It's like oh, this thing that they're doing in Spanish is like oh, it's magical realism. Imperialism is not a thing that dies down. It, it really doesn't. Unfortunately, we I wish it did. So. It feels very simplistic to do all that, and I, I think the category, the way that it's been operated, and the way that it brings so so many different things with so many different purposes, and with so many different executions and languages and backgrounds and, and things together, it's it's more than just a, a historical. It's generic. It's problematic, and it's imperialist. I think uh, a lot of the time, I think it can be useful in certain aspects, and I think it can in terms of the self-identification, if that's what you're operating and what you're pretending or you're intending to do, then that's something else that you as a writer need to engage and understand with. Of course, if you're comparing it to these particular references in a wide and generic way, then sometimes that can happen. But in bringing in someone like from Latin America, from one of these various countries and places, and trying to do something similar, then it's a different discussion. But as a defining category uh, on like this uh, external general label 
I feel it has issues. And I, I think they ha they are sufficiently well justified for me to be careful. To be careful of that judgment. Uh, and the way that it's been used and, and pointed at these objects. In that sense, uh, I do use it. It's an older denomination, but I, I feel like it... It doesn't carry as many biases or as large or as wide a definition, which is that of fantastic literature, which feels a lot more descriptive, really. It, it doesn't seem to define as well, but it's like, yeah, th this is the sort of thing that's connected to the fantastic. And in a sense, like, reading Sylvina, it's a... Um, it almost, it's almost gothic. She does stuff which is almost gothic. Or that is quite gothic, and then that I think about it. Yeah, that makes sense. Huh, interesting. I do wonder. She's... Well, I'll, I'll get into her stuff in a, in a minute. But it's... To put it as magical realism, because there's weird stuff that's not easily scientifically explained happening, feels very shallow. <laughs> uh, same with Cometierra. Um, and same with other works. Uh, for example, there is a particularly popular novel that I believe is from last year. Or, yeah, last year. Last year? No, year before. Good God. Uh, which is the... Which is the Crooked Plow. I might, I may have mentioned this work before. And it is... It's sort of this realist novel trying to gather, like, into this aspect of uh, more interior, rural Brazil. And aspects of oppression and violence and and different other cultural and religious backgrounds, and these, these beliefs that come from or, or connect with uh, African beliefs and African traditions. So it, it is a really interesting, it's a really fun book. I'm not sure it's translated into English yet, but it, it might, or at least it, it could and should. It, it has some issues, but it's a very good novel, and it, it's an interesting one. But it could, I could easily see it lumped into magical realism. Which, again, I feel like it places it a bit down. Like, that's not the magical aspect. It's like, that's not, that's a thing that happens, but that is not the focus or the point, really. Like, these novels, they do a lot more than that. Like, they, they're playing with supernatural elements or with fantastical elements. Do a lot more than just be, oh, this is magical, or this is different, or this is strange, or it's like, oh, but this... And it creates a division as well, like, oh, this isn't realism, this is magical realism, this is that other thing. It other it creates this othering effect as well. So I I have my issues with magical realism. I, I don't particularly care for realism necessarily or literary fiction as such. I've spoken about this before, like, it's just... I find interesting stuff in it, but it's not my preferred genre to read or, or go after, even if there's really astonishing stuff out there. And I do enjoy reading it when I do. But... Uh, it's a way that like, oh, but this this isn't the realism that we understand or that we would say is realist or literary fiction. This is magical realism. It's that other thing. And it, it, it cre it's still, I mean, it's, there's the nonsense about, uh, you know, like this is, this is a genre literature. This is a low literature. This is entertainment literature, uh, which is nonsense. But like, uh, magical realism, I feel like, helps to reinforce this as an other thing that isn't this... It isn't the realism, it's magical realism, and that's lower down on the ladder. So... <laughs> and, th and then... And that's why I prefer, like, more... It it's not neutral, but it's more neutral, which is the fantastic. And it it's also... It can be used... I feel like it can and should be used, along with other things. Like, Sylvina does, like, fantastic, and also does... 
darker gothic stuff or more this more suspenseful thriller kind of thing or even horror here and there or sometimes it's more weird i mean i i do enjoy labeling things it's a fun enterprise it's good it's cool to define it's interesting but at the other hand i do love like these things that aren't necessarily resolvable which is helpful for me since i have many of those in what i do uh i mean i've mentioned in my research it's like yes it's uh this fiction is both a, a product that it connects with its time, but it's also an individual work. And how do you navigate both of them? It's a continuous tension that is a, a resolved. In that sense, like, oh, these things that aren't necessarily well-defined, but fit into many places or connect with various uh, genre histories and various categories. Yes, this is fun. I like this a lot. So, and it's damn good literature. Uh, so yeah, I, I can't recommend Savino Campo enough. So, now that I've spoken about magical realism, let me try and define and work with an example, a really good example, of how these things don't really connect well. So, what do we see in Silvino Campbell's short stories? And I'll probably pick one or two at one point to just try to go into with more detail. But first, uh, what is generally going on? It is, and bringing a lot of like some of these texts and, and, and some of what is being talked about in this particular edition, is <laughs> a variety of different shows. So is that portray in a sense, and, and the blurb at the back saying that she was incredibly wealthy and extravagant. It is an insight, a great deal, into a sort of bourgeois life, bourgeois Argentinian life. And, you know, some aspects of wealth and power and this bourgeois family. And it shows, uh, <laughs> to, to, to bring it out, Marxist uh, point, how the nuclear family and the family unit is a pretty big nightmare, uh, in a very literal sense. Uh, death, tragedy, horror, violence, blood, fire. Um, it's all here, yay. Um, it's, it's a very, it's a portrayal of like a dispassionate, cold, stuck in their ways, and very rotten elite, uh, without any mercy. Um, there's a real naked horror there, there's there's a violence and an atrocity there, which lies at the heart of the bourgeois family, and in these cases, really, like, uh, oh, it's not just ex the usual exploitation, the usual violence, I say usual and normal, as, as these things are, <laughs> I say these because they're frequent and horrible and unfortunately commonplace still but they're definitely not good definitely not positive and definitely not should be taken in that sense but <laughs> it uh, it lays this violence quite literally it's not these everyday things no it's it's murder it's death <laughs> it's torture it's punishment it's really awful and in in commonplace situations really it's not just oh this betrayal the thing no that's a that's the least of our issues here. <laughs> and and has, as we are diving into the stories and this portrayal, there is tragedy pretty much in, <laughs> in everything going on. Like, the characters ne never... The, the characters are never really, like, caring or decent or positive. They're pretty much always awful. <laughs> uh, there's one thing that, that uh, one of the critics says that uh, there's a pretty much a potential for tragedy behind every sentence. Uh, there's always a sort of double entendre, there's always a foreshadowing, there's always a sense like, oh, but, oh, this, oh, 
Oh, oh, oh, fuck. And then everything happens. It's like, oh, fuck. So I, I read myself and I, I could tell some of the tragedies and I loved it. And then I shared it with my partner as well. And when she read it, she was like, oh, this is what's going to happen, isn't it? And I didn't say a word. I was like, yeah, I knew this was going to happen. Oh, God. Uh, pretty much that. I, I hope that's an accurate portrayal of how she felt. Um, but uh, pretty much. And the entire time, there's that sense of like the unease and something that it's either very wrong or it's going to go awfully wrong. It's like, oh, let's go to that. Yeah, everything's going well. Everything's fun. It's like, wait, what just happened? Wait, what? Oh, 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 fuck. Oh, oh, no. Oh, fuck. That is a accurate representation of how I felt reading one of the stories. It was the House of Watches. Or the House of Clocks, rather. Uh, one or the other, I think, could work. <laughs> um, but yes, um, what Sylvina does in her short stories and in this work is this both this revealing, uh, this opening up at what is happening in this bourgeois family, these conflicts of power, of interest, of wealth and means, of property, of relationships, of alliances, and matters of love as well, because uh, that's a, a pretty big issue too. And things are rarely as they seem. Sometimes they're very down, I say down to earth, realist, grounded, foundational, and, and nothing weird going on. And in others, like, wait, what's happened? Oh, is this real? Is this magical? Like, what is this? Why did this happen? And as usual, you don't get any real explanation. But there is tragedy, violence, and horror. In that sense, like, this could be very gothic, I think. Uh, I, I didn't think about it in those terms before, but when I was talking about magical realism before, I think Sylvina could definitely... It feels familiar. I mean, I, I spoken last year about uh, um, the Robert Murray Gilchrist collection that uh, Daniel Peterson did of, of his short stories, and uh, I Am Stone, which I thoroughly recommend and recommend the episode. And a lot of those stories, they have that sense like, hmm, something isn't quite as it seems, and something's gonna go wrong. That that unease, it's like, oh no. And that is the case here. <laughs> uh, when I was reading it, it's like, oh god, oh yeah, okay, what is the, oh, oh right, fuck. <laughs> and the characters themselves, I was talking about them being uncaring, they're fairly dispassionate. There's like, okay, we need to do this, yes, we're gonna kill them. And, um, oof, it's all I'm going to say, oof. And something that is really interesting and is very particular, there is both a play with an idea of innocence and a lack of innocence. So let me explain what that means as well, which is what, something in particular and doesn't happen all the time. I've seen it for more recently in terms of Nordic Noir, which is something that Maya Bachargo has spoken about before uh, in the Romance in the Gothic lectures, but lecture and when when I've spoken with her that there's also a portrayal of violence by children and children being capable of horrific acts of violence so this play about innocence and lack of is also there in, in sort of these very gruesome and awful scenarios and here in in Ocampo's short stories I mean I suppose I should reinforce when this collection is originally dated from because uh, I haven't mentioned that before um, but it is from 1959. Holy crap. Um, 
Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, I, I didn't think about that before. Yeah, it was pretty intense. So, <laughs> sorry about being sidetracked. It's just, wow, wow. Um, so, violence, lack of innocence, or innocence. You, on the other, on one hand, you have so stories which are have children as protagonists or I main characters or narrators. The, the House of Watchers or House of Clocks one is a pretty big example. And uh, the, these children, like they narrate, they're telling the story, and there's like this innocent perspective that they don't really understand what's going on or what's at play, and so like, and that the ending to that story is fucking hell. Uh, on the other hand, you also have other stories where children, well, they, they commit horrible acts of violence, murder, and uh, other things. So, in a sense, what we see is that violence and horror from all, men and women, old and young, anything can and does happen. And usually the worst possible scenario happens, where everyone loses. So, I, I was thinking about stories I, I was going to talk about as examples. And I might, I may take a couple. Uh, there's one... Mm, I don't know. It's very difficult to pick some of these stories because they're just very good. Uh, but to get an example, and it is described by the... By one of the blurbs in the book as uh, Julio Cortázar's favorite, favorite story, uh, which is the House of Sugar. Uh, essentially, it has this young couple moving into this, this house, which is very... I mean, it's wide, it's a very pristine house, and it is... The, they move into this house because uh, the woman was very superstitious and was very worried about moving into a house that had a history and someone who lived there. And the boyfriend was, or the husband, I'm not entirely sure, he he was looking for the houses and they were very having a very difficult time finding a house where no one had lived in, and I don't think they had that much money. And the he found this, and the house was great, and it was well placed, and it looked wonderful. This beautiful, pretty sugar house, white walls, very, very quaint. And he, uh, the house had a history, but he lies to her, says it's the, the first ones and whatever. But then strange things start to happen. People start confusing the the woman for the the previous occupant. And her personality starts to shift and change and becoming like the very mysterious woman who lived there. And the husband starts noticing that and finding it weird. The woman doesn't find that weird at all. Um, she starts to embrace that. It's Since we have his perspective, we're never really sure what's going on and how the woman feels, uh, which is another interesting perspective. Uh, Savina plays a lot in terms of perspective and who's telling the stories. Uh, men and women, young and old, it it's never just like, oh, it's this, uh, it's this single work. No, she plays around the entire time with narration, with perspective, with these different voices, and like, <laughs> it's a very typical. It's like, oh yeah, no, this this is a dickish of a man uh, narrating the story, and she pulls it all really well. And so he tries to look for the the previous occupant, the mysterious woman. Who had many affairs and many uh, many beloveds, many boyfriends, that, that's something along the, those types of lines. And he eventually he finds out that he, she had passed away, but she had left like a last message, like, oh, uh, that she was apparently terrified that someone mo would move into her house and wear her dresses and go out with her boyfriends, 
and have conversations with uh, someone on a bridge, uh, which is something he had done with uh, her partner. And the story eventually ends with her just like uh, becoming even more and more like her and just one day leaving and, and never coming back. And, and finally, at the end, we have, uh, he's uncertain of what exactly happened. Like she, she trans had transformed into someone else, really. And he puts it at the end. Now I don't know who was whose victim in this sugar house that is now uninhabited. So uh, it, it's very unclear that uh, if it was the house, if it was him, it was her, if it was the previous occupant, what exactly happened in that entire story. Still a very good story and a really interesting one. And again, it's like a sense of the weird, this creeping, unnerving aspects like that, that really do creep in and it's like, oh, what's... But what is actually happening? And there are others which are much more violent and terrifying. I mentioned the the House of Clocks, which uh, ends in a murder, because of course it does. Uh, what other one do I want to talk about that I feel could... Um, I think the Fury is particularly emblematic, which is the one that titles the, the short story. And in it, what, what happens is this... This man, who, how he's telling the story about this woman who he had met, who was apparently quite strange and had this child around that she was apparently always taking care of, who with a drum, who was driving him insane, and how they were really into each other, but it was apparently a secret affair and just a very bizarre relationship. And she tells a, sto a story about how she had apparently been responsible for a murder, a close childhood friend, uh, as you do, I guess. Um, she uh, uh, the whole time seems to play with him and sort of tease him along and never gives him what she never gives him what he wants. And she says that she is like this terrible woman who is dangerous and it's like, oh well, I'll be dangerous to you. I'll show you. And and then apparently at one point, like the kid sort of runs away and he goes after it and finds it, but the woman's gone. And without any explanation, and the boy never mentions much, and is never really helpful. And the man is sort of like this bachelor scumbag kind of thing, uh, isn't really being nice, and is apparently threatening the kid with the uh, with the drum. And at the end, and it's like he's sort of in a panic, trying to figure out what to do, and returning the kid where to where he does not know where. And then. <laughs> Let me read the three last paragraphs to just give you a sense of what can happen in this story, or in Sylvina's stories. He started screaming. I suppose I should give you a warning for, you know, like, murder and violence against children. <laughs> uh, because it's, it's about to get worse. Um, he started screaming. I grabbed him by the neck. I asked him to be quiet. He did not want to listen to me. I covered his mouth with a pillow. He resisted for a few minutes, then remained immobile, with eyes closed. To hesitate is one of my damnations. During minutes that felt like an eternity, I repeated, What am I going to do? Now I'm just hoping that the door to my cell is opened, where I'm still incarcerated. I've always been like this. In order to not provoke a scandal, I was capable of committing a murder. So this both gives you a sense of the type of character that we have in these stories. Where it's like, oh, the, oh so these were your priorities. <laughs> Holy shit. And what can happen in this story? 
something that is this bizarre love affair with which is very strange and these weird circumstances about this woman who is this sort of nanny and is then like gone and this man who is just like in order to keep things stable just kills a child um yeah no think things are things are going really well and a lot of these this wasn't necessarily an example but many others shows these like wealthy environments and these large families of means and um these parties and events and celebrations and things going wrong and people dying <laughs> i won't go into other stories and spoilers uh, because they're really good and i recommend everyone read them even this one is like the whole development is just like whoa they, they all have a sense of like whiplash as they go but it's never like crude or unprepared no because you're the whole time you're ready for something but it's never what you imagine it's always so much worse so and, and this isn't something that can be framed into like oh magical realism just because oh there's something weird going on oh there's something magical no it's it's a lot more than that, and, and, and again, it, it looks and feels like a reductive label when, when placed such as it, as it can be and such as it has been, or witness it being. These stories, these writers, and these texts do so much more than just like, oh, a, a magical type of realism. No, they're engaging with like this particular subject or in this particular framing and these weirds, and or in, in terms of Sofina as well, like, living with Borges and Bjorn Casares is definitely in terms of like, oh, this is a fantastic literature. The uh, I've read this and it's very good. I, I can't recommend it. The Ant Anthology of Fantastic Literature organized by Borges, Silvina, and Silvino Campo and Bjorn Casares is a really, really, really good collection of stories. And again, th that's the label. The label is fantastic. That's what they called it. That's how they referred to what they were doing and collecting or engaging with. Those were the main references and sources. So it, it both fits into what they were doing, that they were engaging with this. And it, 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 I feel it's personally a lot more descriptive than just, oh, it's magical realism. That, at the end of the day, I feel does a disservice. And, and that's one of the things that I try to argue and prove. It is, and not always intentionally, but it's an arm of, of imperialism there operating in the terms of literature it's like oh it's this other type of literature the thing that they do they do magical realism that's what they traditionally do and that's not never the case like people write many different things i mean uh, on the one hand machado jesse's we've spoken about before in multiple episodes he wrote what would be defined as like literary fiction or like modernist literature or this realist fiction but he also wrote stuff which could be closer to a sort of um, horror or filler or gothic or even in terms of like comedy again these things are and all of these qualifiers and labels when we're talking about fiction when we're talking about art they're never exhaustive so it's like oh it's this thing it's mainly this but it's also this this and this uh, or he mainly did this but he also did this this and this and these things aren't separated separated they have different moments and different prevalences in like uh, an author's body of work, so to speak, but they're never really exhaustive. It's like, okay, you see, I mean, <laughs> and this isn't a spoiler. One of the, and I, I would call this realist or literary fiction. 
Machado Jesse's posthumous memories of Brascobas, I mean, the clues in the title, the man's already dead, talking about his sto- his life story. And yet, you would not, I, I mean, I don't think you, I'd hurt someone if they called it magical realism, because it's not, but it's closer to a sort of realist and uh, uh, literary fiction, despite the fact that we're talking about a man who's referring to himself and his life, remembering it being dead. It's his posthumous memories. And it, it has an ironic and sarcastic tone a lot of the time, but it's also, it traverses in between these things, but it's also like, it's still a ghost talking about his life. It's, it's not really escapable from it, but it also, in terms of tone and execution and what it does, it does so much more than that. Maybe I'll, I'll do Posthumous Memories of Brass Kubas this year. It's a really amazing book. It's it's fun. It's generally fun because it's, it's taking the piss out of the Brazilian 19th century elite uh, as ample because Brass Kubas a dick. He's horrible. So... It's a really sarcastic book a lot of the time and really fun while also being like really interesting. Michelle Jassiz was a, an amazing writer. Like I, I think that can never be overemphasized. It's just, he's just, he was just brilliant. And so, yeah, I, I, I do recommend that uh, if you like, if you're interested in that kind of thing. And uh, so like Imperial Brazil, uh, Imperial to Republic of Brazil, uh, that, that sort of point. But it's mostly the, the Imperial Brazil, Lillian period. And it just talks a lot of like talks about slavery, talks about this economic elite and exploitation, all of that. That it's it's a very good work. Uh, and again, it's not there's this major fantastical supernatural element at the start and heart of the novel that comes in the title. And yet, to call it magical realism would to would be doing it a disservice and would be limiting the novel. And especially as an external perspective. Like, oh, it's oh, it's just that kind of thing. It's what they do. Well, well, I smell an imperialism there. So yeah, hopefully I've been able to sort of uh, coalesce some of my thoughts in terms of magical realism and some of the growing issues I've had with it. The more I understand, the more I try to, the more I've seen it used and the more I've understood how it's been used. And it's like, I, I see how it can work in certain ways but I feel like it's not really necessary or it doesn't contribute as much, and there are other ways of going at it, as I've tried to explain and elaborate, I hope. And while also talking about Savino Campo and The Fury and Other Short Stories, which is uh, an amazing collection, and Silvino Campo was an amazing fucking writer, which I can't recommend enough. I mean, all the content warnings for violence and murder and tragedy... <laughs> It's just, it all goes awfully wrong. Um, but it's also incredible in what it does. And it just happens, like, so quick and so intense. Like, oh, fuck. And now there's a body in the room. As I've read. So, yeah, uh, I can't recommend Sophie now enough. Oh, Campo, enough. So, yeah, thank you so much for listening, everyone. Hopefully you've enjoyed this episode. This was a lot of fun to do. I was really excited about this episode when I realized, oh, I read this. I want to talk about this. This was one of my favorite books last year that I read last year. Uh, and I I just could not talk about it. And there's just so much to talk about. And tying in with this notion of magical realism and the fact that Sylvina Ocampo did something so entirely unique and particular to her, even at her own time, it's not really comparable, as I reiterate, with Borges, with Bjorn Casares, with anyone else. 
So yeah, it's uh, it's really good. It's really fun. Really, 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 really dark, but really good. And yeah, thank you so much for listening. Hope you've enjoyed. Hopefully, you've enjoyed three years of the left page. Do be on the lookout for our special anniversary episode, uh, which is going to be quite fun, quite light. I think it's going to be an entertaining time, which I, I hope you do enjoy. And I think that's about it. Do check us out on Twitter at Left Page Pod and myself at Frank Gothic as I share some other stuff, some other research, some other rants and things. And yeah, uh, I'm happy to be back and, and to be back uh, in 2022 with such a fun theme, such a fun book, such a fun a- a episode. This is really good to do. <laughs> I really liked it. And and yeah, uh, if you can, please support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash left page, where I post the reading corners, which I talk about a short story, a novel, a piece of theory or other research that I'm working on, which doesn't make it into a full episode necessarily or an addendum to an episode or a theme as I did at the end of December uh, with uh, detective stories. And there's also the writer's desk where I talk about writing uh, or, or, or write about fiction and politics and history from this point of view of writing and how do you uh, engage with certain subjects and certain aspects and how do you try and do that connection and, and, and do and pull things off. How do you think and how do you plan or how do you work out, how do you interpret writing as well? And I posted some more questions and ideas and suggestions on that as well. So do check it out if you're interested as well. Uh, but if you can't support us, uh, that is totally fine, totally understandable. Just your listenership over these past three years, and especially during the pandemic and last year, as I've taken as I've taken the show, as I've taken over the show really, and done things a lot more solo episodes and did a, a great deal of other collaborations. Uh, hopefully, you've enjoyed. I have quite a great deal of things planned that I want to do this year. Lots of people I want to chat with and do some fun episodes. So be on the lookout for those. And yeah, just thank you for listening. Thank you for being here, really, this whole time. And yeah, hopefully you enjoy what we do next and what the, where the left page goes and what we continue to do. And you'll, you'll be around. And thank you so, so much for everything. Till the next one.